What doesn't kill you will only make you stronger. But living through that process can be a hidden hell. Along this path, if you keep your mind's eye open, there are people you will meet that can offer you a key that opens a door to a whole new world. I'm your host, Gabe Wells, and this is the Saturated Life Podcast, episode number 12, with the digital artist and spiritual phoenix, Anya Khan. people, no matter if it's music or is, you know, art. I mean, I get sick of when I see somebody reproducing the same old shit over and over again. I think a lot of people do like to stay in their comfort zone. And when, when something new is presented, like say, I don't know if you're a Radiohead fan, but like when Radiohead transitioned from OK Computer to Kid A, a lot of people were like, what the hell is Kid A? I want some more Paranoid Android, you know, (laughs) like what, but over time, though, like once once people adjust to it, Kid A now is viewed as a great album. But I, I remember at the time, a lot of people were just like really mixed about it. They didn't know what to think about it. But yeah, so it just it takes a little time. Doesn't, don't you think that makes a great artist? Somebody that can actually, you know, because if you're feeding the public what they're used to all the time and they're loving it and they're digging it and you're making the same music or you're making the same art and then you like screw everybody up and they're like, well, what the hell? Do I like this or do I not? That right there to me is a stamp of a really good artist, a good, a good creative person because they're willing to do something, you know, that's totally off the charts, totally different and, you know, see how people react. If they're liking it, that's all that matters. And I think that sometimes as a fan, because you and I are fans of other things, you know, you're fans of Radiohead, fans of this band or that band or this artist. And yeah, it can be nerve wracking when you go, wow, I really like that style and they've totally changed. But then, you know, you have to kind of step aside and go, well, what did that person want? And why are they doing this? Are they doing this for a fan base? Or are they actually doing this because they genuinely love their craft? And if someone genuinely loves their craft, they will have a follower. You know, they will have followers. They will have people that will follow along and enjoy their what they're doing, too. It's the people, I think, that give to the masses what they want all the time is what gets boring. And when they lose fans, because they lose the, gen- the genuine you know, aspect of what they're doing. Yeah, I think like pure creativity should be that path. Like you can see your development through your artwork and or your evolution, your your emotional evolution through your artwork. And uh, so if you put it all together, like if you just look at it in continuation from your first to now, you see that path out of darkness into a a brighter and happier life. And I think uh, it's, I don't know, it's a a beautiful statement. It's a, you know, the phoenix, you know, rejuvenated. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's been a really, really interesting path. And one of the things about the series that I'm showing is the last piece that I did is a version of Joan of Arc. And she was not planned at all in any of this. Like, I really don't plan out my work. I just kind of like shoot from the hip like I do with my lectures and stuff. I just do what I feel is right. And at the end of it, I was really struggling. And the last piece was really getting to me. And I'm like, I can't figure this out. And I like passed it to a friend of mine who told me that the original piece, which looks nothing like this anymore. I mean, she had like an updo and stuff like that. And he was like, she totally looks like a 1950s yearbook photo. He's like, I don't think you're really going for that, are you? And I'm like, oh, God, it's terrible. And he's (laughs) like, you know, you 
going to have eight pieces. He's like, you can have seven. He's like, you know, don't push yourself to get out an eighth piece because of a number. He's like, you know, your whole series is really strong, and this other piece isn't very strong. And I'm like, okay. So I, like, sat on it, and I sat on it, and I sat on it. And then I decided to change the hair. And when I changed the hair, something, like, came over me, and I was like, wait a second. She reminds me of Joan of Arc. And I'm like, wait a second. Joan of Arc has always been somebody through my illness, through my child abuse, through, I mean, I'm not religious at all. I'm a spiritual person, but I've always like looked at strong icons, no matter if they're female or male in my life and kind of look to them as a way to overcome. And she's always been this like guiding thing for me in my head. It's always kind of been a joke, you know, that, you know, Joan this, Joan that, you know, and when the piece started to come together, when I was done with it, I thought to myself, holy shit, this is like a total circle. Like this is like the end, almost like this news to me, this woman that I've always really looked up to had become the signature last piece of my work. And I thought, wow, this is, this is something that no one's going to understand, but me, you know, I'm like, wow, this is really beautiful. This is like a story almost like coming to an end. Although the end will be the beginning of something else. It's still kind of an end of a, a narrative. You say like Joan of Arc has been um, an, an idol of yours of some kind. Like what, why is why Joan of Arc? Because she just never gave up. People thought, well, really nowadays people think she probably had a mental illness. Um, she believed that she could fight a war and that she could take over. And people were like, you're fucking crazy. You're a woman. And we've, you know, lost this battle over and over and over again. And she just kept going and she did. She, she fought and she fought and she fought um, and she won. And the people were like, wow, that's crazy. But the, this clear amount of drive this woman had was what really had always kind of made me think, you know, because really how she came into my life is I had a friend of mine who was trying to kind of push religion on me. Like, you should be religious with all this illness you have and all this other crap in your life. You know, look to God. And I'm like, listen, people, I grew up in a Catholic home. I, it was really bad. You know, it was like, you know, we're going to beat you, you know, because you did something wrong and then we're going to go to confession and you're going to, and it's like, you know, I would get in trouble and then somehow it was, you know, God's going to punish you. And, and yeah. there are great things about all religions and spirituality and stuff, but I saw this really negative side of Catholicism and I fucking hated it. And as an adult, I was like, nope, I don't want anything to do with any religion. I don't care what you are. I don't want to talk about it. But at one point, I was at this really low point, and a friend of mine said, you know, why don't you find something else? Why don't you find some other, like, iconic person? And she, like, brought up Joan of Arc to me, and I started to research, you know, this person. Obviously, I watched a movie about her and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, this this person just never gave up, you know, and she had a, a goal, a vision. I mean, anybody like that who has a goal or vision in their life, and they go against the masses to do that and they succeed, even if they fail, they're still an icon, you know, just because somebody succeeds doesn't necessarily mean people that, you know, do amazing stuff and fail, but still push and push and push are still just as amazing. But she, you know, she's just somebody that um, went against odd. She dressed as a man. She was a woman. She dressed as a man. They think that she may have been um, possibly a hermaphrodite, with very manly features. There are just a lot of really interesting things about her that went against the social norms of the time. And she believed, even though she dressed as a man and God told her to do this, you know, that this was her calling, 
that, you know, she still believed that women should do normal garb and do their own thing and that they should be in the home and they shouldn't be on the battlefield, you know, but she felt that she had this calling. And when that was kind of given to me, I was like, you know what, this is, this is good. This is a, this is a good person to look to that has some kind of spiritual backing that, you know, did something really amazing. And she was, you know, burned at the stake. Um, at the end, and then she was rejuvenated as a saint. So, you know, she had a full circle thing where, you know, she was condemned and, you know, you're a traitor, you're this, you're that, and we're going to burn you. And when, um, from what I've read, I don't know if this is historically correct, but when she was burned at the stake, she wore a dress. She actually dressed in feminine garb. And then they came back and said that this woman was a saint, which you know, that we have a lot of that in our history, right? Yeah. Where somebody yeah. is wrong, 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 wrong. And then we come back as a society and we go, wow, that person really had an amazing vision an amazing something that we weren't ready to digest. And now we're ready for it. And so we're going to honor them. And most of the time the people are freaking dead, which sucks. But at least as a, at least as people, we are growing in that. So, you know, that's kind of, kind of the thing. I, I felt really attached to her. I actually have, memorabilia. I have a, a room in my house that I consider a meditation room where I do yoga and um, exercise and dance and meditate. And, you know, I'm one of those crazies. And I have a bunch of really cool different things that I've bought that represent her. And I have other iconic things. Because I love, as much as I had a, such a terrible, you know, uh, upbringing with Catholicism, I have tons of, like, interesting religious pieces in, in this room of, like, you know, really old pictures of Jesus and stuff, because I think they're really beautiful. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a historical thing. So this room is just filled with all this, this stuff. And she is kind of a theme in there as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, religion stemmed from a, you know, a need to control originally. It wasn't a salvation thing or a, whatever. It was a need to control the population um, under this, you know, thing. And now, you know, as people we've evolved and, you know, we're trying to find this whole spirituality, no matter if it's in some type of deity, or, you know, God, Buddha, whatever, you know, or if it's just based in like, I know there's something bigger out there than me. I mean, I think we're a lot more evolved than we used to be, but there also seems to be like a really large amount of hate. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really fascinating. I don't understand a mind that can't understand more than one thing. Like everything is in black and white. Like, you know, just because you believe one thing, it doesn't mean that there isn't a, a gray area there. There's a gray area for everything. You know, just because you don't believe in abortion doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a gray area there for somebody who has been raped. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a gray area. And I think the trouble is, is that so many people are so used to just wanting to like be black or white and they don't want to meet in the middle ground. Like, you know what, I, I, I don't believe in this, but I understand under these circumstances, or I believe in this God, but if you want to believe in this God, that's fine with me. And people just don't feel like they want to get along. They want to control each other. And that's unfortunate. I agree. So how did you end up lecturing at, at colleges? Yep. I talk about uh, my personal history in psychology classes um, um, about uh, mental illness and also about uh, child abuse. And then I talked to other art classes in regards to um, having an art as a career or in maybe a photo class about photo- photographs um, or in a digital imaging class about digital. So I'm really kind of um, in a wide variety of, of different markets. And I think lecturing is as equal to art for me. 
Like I would really okay. like to do this at a level. It's um, not, I wouldn't want to be a professor. I wouldn't want to like be stuck with a group of students for a semester. I would really like to, you know, meet a class, you know, and do a lecture like I'm doing. And, and to me, um, I'm able to meet a lot more people, um, cross different boundaries, um, educate people in a different way and bring them something to their classroom. And that to me is so much fun. And now that I'm feeling so much better, I definitely will be putting a lot more of that on my plate. But I got into it because somebody asked me to speak in front of a class when I was going to the college um, for Women's History Month um, about my child abuse. And I was open with it. And after I left the school, I was there for a short period of time as a community college, and I was going there for psychology. Um, And then I decided to go to online school because I started to get really, really sick and I couldn't go to class anymore. But the professor that had me, um, her and I got really close. She's still a really great friend of mine. And she proceeded to ask me to come back. And when other class or other schools started to see that that was something I was doing, I got invited to other places. So that's how it, it kind of started. And by word of mouth, it's just gotten more active and, and it's, it's probably one of the most fulfilling things because I sit there and I, I talk to these students and most of the time I have somebody after come up in there in tears and that's hard, but I also know that I have touched people and that's really, that's how my art started anyway, is by almost the exact same thing is having, seeing somebody have a response and then knowing that what I'm doing is affecting people in a, in a way that's going to help them grow. Yeah. And that's one of the best things to experience too, even if if you're the the person that's being able to connect to somebody like you, knowing that you're you're not alone. Because I know when I went through a shitty childhood, I didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about my friends. I didn't talk about it with anybody. I just kept it myself, and I felt I felt pretty alone in the idea. Because even if you talk about it, it's hard to for people to be able to relate to things, you know, that they don't experience or. Um, they can kind of, they listen, but it's like you just, then you start feeling even more alienated because they're just like, that's crazy. And I don't know, for me. So it's 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 nice to have somebody like you that is coming out and, and really discussing it and helping people bond and, and heal with it. Yeah, you and I are the same age. And when we were growing up, there wasn't a platform for that. You know, there wasn't, you know, your mom and dad could beat the shit out of you and no one's going to do anything. And not that I don't think that punishment's important, but there's yeah. a fine abuse and not abuse. And we are really being more open as a society to educate people on abuse, um, abusive relationships, even as adults. You know, what are the signs of abuse? It doesn't have to be physical and it's not always a woman. And that's the other thing is a lot of people get this preconceived notion that it's females, you know, it's like, oh, this guy is beating up a girl. It's like, well, women can be just as abusive as men can be physically and, you know, mentally and control and do horrible things. And I think by that and also having an open dialogue about mental illness, I think we are really coming to a place where we can help people. And, you know, I hate to bring this up, but, you know, look at all the terrible violence that goes on in the world. It's partially because we are told to hold it in. You know, we're not, there's not a lot of help out there for a lot of things. There's a lot more than when you and I were children or when our parents were children, but there still needs to be a larger, you know, platform for that. And so for me to be able to take my art 
go in, walk in, especially now, you know, to go back, it's not so fresh anymore, the, the stuff from 2005, 2006 that did depict a lot of uh, abuse and control and women in submissive positions, um, to go in there and show them the evolution, show them where I came from, show them um, some of the mental struggles that I've had, and let them know that there, you can be successful um, as a person in whatever you want to do, it doesn't have to be art, that you don't have to have people control you, that you can turn things around because when people are in those situations, they don't realize that they actually have control or they get to liking it and not, and I say liking it and that sounds really heinous, but it's, they get used to it because it's a habit and I've been there. I mean, I dated abusive people after my mom's divorce because I didn't know any better and it was very comfortable for me. And then when I would date somebody who was nice to me, it didn't feel right. It was, it was like, well, what the hell? Why aren't you, you know, treating me like shit? Obviously now that's, you know, a song and dance that hasn't been that way for, you know, 11 years. And it's a, it's a weird thing. Like you don't somehow, I don't know how that becomes comfortable and that becomes reality and that, and that kind of, um, like you know, it's not easy to see yourself out of that that kind of lifestyle. Does that make sense? It isn't, and I grew up with it. And my best friend growing up grew up in the same environment, so I didn't even have like an alternative reality yeah. when I hung out with my best. So it was like, and I lived in like you know a middle class neighborhood, and I talk about that at college too. You know, I talk about these things with these kids. I'm like, you know, I didn't grow up in the ghetto. You know, I grew up in a really middle class neighborhood. You know, we had a Lincoln in my driveway. I mean, you know, it it it's not you know abuse does not it's not a um it's not you know an underclass thing or a middle class thing or an upper class thing. It's a people thing, and it's happening on every level of financial you know. Uh, any level of finances you're making, it doesn't matter. It's happening everywhere. And it's easier to mask in a, in a more upscale environment. Um, and, and people are less likely to say anything. Um, we didn't have people say anything. I mean, we, we had tons of stuff going on at my house and everybody was like turning the other way. And I was like, Oh, whatever, mm. you know? And it's just, just the way, you know, things, things were, but like you were saying, you know, Art is a really cathartic thing that has helped me work through it, which, you know, you had said that too in the previous conversation, that that's been helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these kids need to know that, or, you know, people in general, it doesn't even have to be kids, you know, it can be adults, but people need to understand that that you can get help. And I just listened to a podcast on TED Talks, and I don't remember the name of it. Um, but anybody who is really interested in the cycle of abuse and why a woman stays a woman just did about a 45-minute podcast on it um, okay. from her abusive, uh, being in an abusive relationship um, and why, what was going through her head, what are the things she had to deal with. And even though I grew up like that, not as an adult, having an adult relationship, but as a child, um, witnessing that, it was very fascinating to listen to her talk. So um, if you guys are into TED Talks, yeah. I would definitely Google that. To it. It, was, it was absolutely um, eye-opening. We're, like human beings are strange creatures. The whole brain thing is just really confusing to me. Like perception of, of yourself and uh, and the brain's ability to process information accurately yeah. is very strange to me because that doesn't really process information accurately. And so many different other instances as well, not just violence, but other circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating thing to look at. But I will say from my own experience, that when I met my husband, um, I would try to cause problems with him to antagonize 
because yeah. that's what I do. I'm not even joking. And I talk yeah. about, I mean, I am honest when it comes to this kind of shit because people have to understand that that's normal. Like I grew up with that. It's normal to want to do that. But do I know it's improper? Yeah. And did my husband finally after like a year be like, listen, lady, like I'm not going to beat your ass. I'd like to, but stop antagonizing. <laughs> you know, I mean, say that, but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, you know, you can, somebody's been used to a, um, a habit, you know, like I'm used to constant drama, constant drama. And when somebody can actually get outside of that and realize that a constant turmoil is not what's going to make your life exciting, um, then you get to move on and realize, you know, I've always joked about this and I said, you know what? I have always been a person that wanted to be on stage. I've done many things in my life that have promoted that. I've been in an opera. I've, you know, ran a record label. And, you know, I've always been kind of like, look at me. And my mom would be like, please stop calling my name and doing headstands in the living room. Like, no one cares. <laughs> um, and I think when um, growing up in that environment, that a good way to get that, you know, attention as I got into my teens when I was in really horrible relationships was to have that drama that drama. I mean, we watch drama on TV. I don't watch TV. I haven't watched TV in many, many years, like 10 years. I don't like TV, but I'm aware of what goes on on TV. And it's drama, 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 drama all the time because yeah. that's what people drum up in their life. And one cool thing was, is I realized with art that I could have the main stage. I could be creating all the drama I want with no negative effects. My relationships weren't falling apart. I wasn't boozing up in a corner. You know, I had, you know, good people in my life and I didn't have to cause a freaking scene. And that's really hard because when I look at other people uh, connected with similar situations that I've been in, I haven't seen that breakthrough. And it's really hard to sever that need for drama. Um, and find it in a more healthy manner. I mean, if you have that need for some type of, you know, excitement in your life, it's like, well, you need to find other ways to get that, you know, go skydiving. I mean, there's other ways to do it in a healthy way, but it just seems to be a habit thing. We are uh, thrill seekers. And sometimes the thrill is, unfortunately, for a woman or a man in an abusive relationship, the thrill could be the constant abuse. And it's sad, but people get used to it and then they start to like it and it becomes, I hate this. You'll hear people say it. I hate it. I can't believe I'm in this. And then they're back in it. It's like, well, they obviously are getting something from it. We do not as human beings stay somewhere where we don't get something. For example, you know, if someone is sick all the time and they start to get better, which I'm in this circle right now, I'm starting to get better. I'm so used to having somebody caring for me all the time, taking care of me. It's real easy for me to want to fall back into that because it feels comfortable. Oh, somebody take care of me. You know, somebody be there for me. Someone, you know, hold my hand and be supportive because you get, you're obviously getting some type of positive reinforcement in some kind of way, right? You're getting mm -hmm. something from it you're sick, you're getting people taking care of you. Well, if you're not sick anymore, no one's going to take care of you. And so yeah. the same thing with the relationship If you know, you're getting abused and you're getting treated like shit. You're getting something out of it. These people, no matter if they're male or female are getting something, they're both getting something. They wouldn't stay in cahoots with each other, you know? Weird. So it's, yeah. it's it's a crazy thing, but I'm educating and that's what I'm doing. I'm standing up there and I'm, I'm being no holds bar. I tell the students right at the beginning, you can ask me anything. 
from sexual questions, because I was sexually abused, to questions about relationships, to questions about anything. Like, I will tell these kids anything they want to hear, because I believe that truth is what will help. Yeah, that's respected, most of all. Like, to see, I mean, to me, like, if you were sexually abused, and to come out and, like, talk about that in public, that's, to me, like, it takes my breath away a little bit because that gives me anxiety and I haven't been sexually abused. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that, that would give me such anxiety to come out and, and say that. And that's the other thing I tell the kids when I talk to them. I'm like, if something offends you, feel free to leave the room because the stuff that I get into can get really touchy feely for people, you know, where they just can't handle it. And I get it. You know, this, this to me, I owned it. So it's yeah. different for me now. And it wasn't easy to talk about, you know, it was not, uh, it's, you know, but if somebody doesn't talk about it, how is it going to get out there? I, you know, how are people going to, you know, exactly. I, and I, it's like with everything else, I try to be honest on both ends. Like what I told you about, you know, pushing my husband around and, you know, trying to get him to argue with me or other things in my life. It's like, I don't always say, oh, I did all the good things. I let them know I did the bad things too. Like with bullying, you know, we touched on that before. Like I was bullied all through school. And then finally, once I hit high school and realized I had a nice punch, <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> you know, let's, you know, let's bring it on. Like I can stand up for myself. And then I, you know, flipped the coin and became the other end of it because I had the control. So I think kids really honor that when you're willing to talk about both sides, not you're just, you know, a victim that came from something that you're a victim, but you also may have been an abuser as well mm-hmm. in some fashion, or you may have been, you know, that you can, you know, play on both sides and, and say, you know, I've done this, but I've also done this. I've been here, but I've also maybe done this, you know, maybe I've used, you know, uh, you know, my child abuse because that had happened to me. Well, then I finally learned that I could beat other people's asses. So I went ahead and did that. It became some mean bitch in high school for a while. You know, and I think kids are like, wow, okay. You know, cause I think when sometimes when the underdog comes up, right. People, people want to hear sometimes from the, I mean, wouldn't you want to hear that? Like, why do you abuse? I want to know why people abuse more than why somebody stays there. That's more interesting to me. Like, why do you constantly abuse somebody and do that to them than why somebody stays there? I mean, that's really fascinating to me. Like, what makes you think that you should be doing that? It's strange. Oh, God, it's so strange. Like, my mom would tell me when my dad would start to flip out, she would have a close view of it, of course, because he's right, you know, he's beating her. And she would say that his his eyes changed to a, a pure evil, like this malicious kind of, and it would be over crazy shit too, like nothing. Like all of a sudden I remember being a kid and it would just happen. You're like, what the fuck? Just what what is going on? It was nothing going yeah. on before that. And uh it just if something happened throughout his day, it was taken out on her. And uh, re- heartlessly, too. Heartlessly. Not just kind of like pushing, slapping. It's heartless shit. In some way, I want to ask my dad, but you won't get an answer. Those people, people that do things like that have a really hard time understanding why they do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're they're so dark that they can't – it's hard for them to admit it. Well, one of the ways that I got – through what I got through is by looking at the, per- the perpetrator and going, I wonder what happened to them to make them that way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what happened to the person that made them that way? Yeah. Something happened along their lifespan to make them that way, to cause something to go. I mean, obviously there's people that are just born fucking crazy. I mean, yes, there's chemical imbalances that make people fucking crazy, 
But in history, there's a lot more when you look at a, at a history and go, wow, okay, this person was this, 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 had X, Y, Z happen, which, you know, caused them to act like this. And, you know, it made me have a little bit more compassion for those people. Now, do I think it's right? Do I think that, you know, they shouldn't be like, for example, the bomber, you know, that kind of stuff or things that happened nine eleven, whatever happened, you know, the, the shooters and all the stuff that people have done. Do I have compassion for those people? No, I think that they deserve to, you know, have horrible things happen to them and they should, you know, have justice served properly. But is there a part of me that looks at that person and wants to know what's behind the criminal mind? Yeah, because something had to happen to make that person like that. And you choose it. And you and I touched on this before. You choose it. You either make a decision to be, you know, you come from that environment and you choose a certain way or you choose a different way. And, for example, my brother chose the other way. I didn't get into drugs. I'd never done a drug in my life. I was too freaking scared to. I was already a little crazy in the head. I didn't want to add to the crazy. I was like, you know what? A little unstable. I don't really think I need to be doing anything. Okay, drink a couple beers, whatever. But I've never tried any type of drugs. My brother, on the other hand, he was eight years younger than me, got into that, um, was a lot more violent than I was, and um, he ended up ending his life. And it's just two different people taking very similar situations and processing them completely differently. I had something like art. And, well, you know, he he was artistic. I mean, he was an artistic kid. He was a fucking amazing kid. He had amazing stuff in him, but he just wasn't able to make it, make it through it. And it's unfortunate that things like this can just destroy the human spirit to the point of suicide. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you created tarot card decks. You had the Silver yep. Era tarot card deck, and you said you do yep. readings and so forth. Did tarot cards kind of help you... Through this process, did it kind of give you answers in a way that helped you get through these issues? And not really. Um, oh. <laughs> tarot was always, no, no. But there is a connection with that, though. That um, was right after that. Uh, tarot has always been something that's been fascinating to me. And I had somebody a long time ago ask me to be a part of a deck. Like they wanted to use one of my photos and do something. And I thought, oh my god, this is like taboo and creepy and. You know, I've already had enough screwed up stuff in my life. I don't, you know, need somebody coming after me and I'm going to die. I don't know. You know, all the stupid shit we think about things before we know what they really mean. And I was like, oh, my God, it's terrible. And then when I looked into it, I was like, wow, this is totally not like taboo and that weird. I mean, this is really something that's been around for, you know, thousands of years. It's, you know, it was utilized mostly not for somebody to reach to somebody else. It was mostly a self-divination thing. Um and it was very, uh, a very considered very good, but we have taken it into this whole like, oh, you get the death cards, you're going to die. And it's like, no, really, it's about, you know, overcoming something and letting something go and a door shutting. I mean, it, it is. But for me, tarot was something as a project to get my mind busy while I was sick. Like I did that because I needed something. That's why I did a lot of the projects that I've done because I needed something to feel productive and that was something that I wanted to do because I thought, you know what? Wow, that'd be awesome. Like, you know, that big of a deck. But when you talk about creating something to help me through it, it was the following deck that did that for me, which was uh, Inspirations for Survivors. Russ and I uh, did the Silver Arrow Tarot, and then we did the Inspirations for Survivors deck. And that deck was a bunch of random artwork that I really never used that was just kind of underground, just kind of sat there, little pieces of stuff that I put together. And they put these 
really wonderful things to them because after my brother died, I felt like people needed something to help them that was really accessible and really easy. Like they could just pick up a deck and pull out a card and get some, you know, something inspirational. And I'm sure you've seen those um, inspirational calendars where they have like a really nice, cute little saying every day or whatever. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's great for me. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's beautiful. But a lot of people don't want that like, I don't know, that, like, sunshiny, cutesy thing. Like, I don't want to go get a picture. <laughs> you know, and they just don't. They're like, that's stupid. Yeah, okay. it's silly. And this, and this is more of, like, a cool way to, like, connect with people. It's, you know, the artwork's kind of darker, and it's got these really nice, like, words and sayings and positive things. And um, actually, um, my therapist, I, I gave her a deck, and she... Um, is working with people who have had sexual molestation, rape in their life to use those cards to work through those emotions. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so it's getting into um, doctor's offices, you know, um, and it's being used as a tool for people to work through their feelings. So that has been more of a tool for me. But I do use tarot. I mean, I pick it up and I ask questions sometimes. And I actually asked for something very recently, and it really gave me good insight. Now, it doesn't tell your future. A lot of people think that tarot tells your future, and it really just has, like, this nice little blurb or words that mean certain things within the symbolism of each card. And you take it for what it is on your on your own. If, if somebody gives you, you know, um, something to read, you're going to take it your own way, and that's the way it is. It gives you kind of a, um, for instance, the temperance card. Um, it's really about balance and, you know, balancing your life. And, you know, if for some reason I'm feeling stressed out and I wish to get that card, for me, that would tell me balance in your life. Well, maybe I'm not being very balanced. Maybe I'm creating a lot of artwork and I'm not sleeping very much and I'm barely eating because I'm creating a lot of artwork and I'm not taking care of myself because I'm an artist and I'm just doing nothing but making art. Maybe I need to go take a walk outside. And then, you know, you, you it just, it, it gives you an internal dialogue to kind of play against you. Like it brings up something to you and goes, mm, are you, you know, is this, is this something you, you know, you want to look at? And you're like, yeah, okay. You know, and if you're willing to be open, you're like, yeah, okay. I probably need to take a walk outside and talk to somebody. Cause I've been in my studio for three weeks now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That makes more sense than, than trying to figure out your future through, through tarot cards. I like the idea that it's kind of a, it's kind of like a mirror in a way. It kind of ki- triggers an idea that you can run on. That's, that's better. Um, because yeah. I, I have a hard time believing that it does more than that. Or if we can, like, do you believe, and would you go to a tarot card reader that's, you know, uh, wherever, a strip mall or something like that with the neon sign in the hand with the eyeball in the in the palm? You know what I mean? Like reading 20 bucks. Would you go to those people and trust them? I've done it once in my life and it was the worst money I've ever spent ever. <laughs> um, I did. I, I, I was in a really rough spot in my life and I've, I've been driving past this place for years. And I thought, and this is before I was into tarot, you know, at all. And I, I drove in there and I mean, she, she took me for, I mean, I'm gen, I'm pretty genuine. And I believe most people are pretty genuine at that point in my life. I was like, yeah, everybody's good. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it wasn't any good, but there are people like, you know, if somebody really does want to get a reading. It's more, it's more kind of like, if you want to go see a doctor, you know, you're not going to just drive down the street and like look and go, oh, that doctor's name looks cool. You know, you're going to get a reference from friends, um, you know, and that's kind of the way, you know, those kind of things work is if, you know, it, inner inner circles of people have people that are really good in metaphysical stuff. And if you want somebody to actually do a reading for you, it's, it's really about finding somebody 
who's good. And there's a lot of people who play on you. I mean, because people are so naive to what these things are, tarot cards and your chakras and, you know, what stones can do and, you know, healing energy with your hands. And people are so unaware of what can happen that there are these horrible people that prey on the naivety of other people and they take them for money and then unfortunately ruins these people's perception of what really beautiful things lie behind this stuff. Because I have really been guided very strongly and positively always by it. But you also have to be aware of your own intuition and your own feelings and emotions. And, you know, it's, it's just something that, you know, with anything, even doctors, I mean, they're good and they're bad. There's people who do really good work and there's people that are in it for the money. And it's the same with the art world. There's people who do really good work and there's people who are in it for the money. It's the same thing with metaphysical stuff. There's people who, you know, really do care. And there's people who are like, um, yeah, I would like $200 to ruin your life right now. Thanks. <laughs> do you believe in clairvoyant type of people? Yes. You do? Very much so. Have you ever experienced I anything actually, like that? Like, do you know anybody that doesn't? Um, I have. You've experienced some kind of clairvoyant experience? Yeah. <laughs> really? I have. What was it? I have. Cool. Um, and I don't deny it ever. It sucks. I, sometimes I really hate it. I'm going to be really honest with you. All right. I've never actually told anybody this publicly, but I think it's a really beautiful story to share. Okay. So right before my brother um, took his life, about three weeks before it, I I had been I, – I used to do music, okay? I uh, wrote music kind of like a female Nine Inch Nails, if I was to explain it. I wrote my own lyrics, and I sung my own songs, and I, you know, programmed all my stuff and, and did everything electronically. Um, when I got into art, I didn't have a lot of time. I also upgraded to a Mac and I lost a lot of my software. So I sold some of my hardware and I just said, screw it. I just don't have time to do this anymore. But something kept telling me that I needed to get back into music and music for me is like art. Like I hear it and I just want to do it. Like it's something it's like powerful for me. Even if I don't make it, music is what lights my life. Like when I make art, I'm inspired by music and writing more than I'm inspired by other people's work. I just love music. Me too. And I start, I just, it's a fucking amazing thing. I mean, music just moves me. And so I, uh, I told my husband, I'm like, I just need to make music again. And he's like, well, that's odd. I'm like, I need to go out and I need to buy logic and I need to get a new microphone. He's just like, wow, you're crazy right now. And I'm like, no, I really need to do this. You know how much I love it. And so he supported it. So I hooked up logic and I, you know, started playing with it and, I, you know, I wrote this song and it was really weird because the music that was inspiring me at the time was Eminem. Now, I don't dislike rap, but I'm more of an, I like classical music. I like industrial music. I listen to Skinny Puppy, KMFDM. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Some hardcore industrial music. Yeah. And I mean, everything else. I even like synth poppy stuff, like the Indian Nation and stuff, but um I'm not really into rap. And the only rap artist I really like is, you know, probably Eminem. I mean, I'm from Detroit. I kind of, you know, and also he has such a rough childhood that I really have kind of identified with his music, but I didn't have anything. And I downloaded a CD and I kept listening to him. This is like a month before my brother died. My brother was a huge Eminem fan. Um, and I didn't know how huge until after he passed away. 
So I'm listening to all this music and, you know, whatever. I start writing this song. And I, my husband comes home one day and I just start to kind of like cry. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I wrote this song about somebody dying. I'm like, I've never written a song about somebody dying. Like most of my stuff has been like about corporate shit. I don't know. It's stuff industrial people write about. It's not this sappy ass, like, I'm lying on the floor. It's not like bad poetry. And I'm like, this is retarded. This is awful. Um, and I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't know what's going on. And I put the thing down. And within a very short period of time, um, I was sitting at home and I got this awful feeling and my husband was here and I, I came downstairs and I just started crying. And he's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. There's something wrong. And within two hours, I got a call that my brother had shot himself. Yeah. And when I, when I look back at all of this, I think, wow, Eminem, you know, these are things I don't listen to. I started writing music again. I was writing a song about somebody dying. And then I had this feeling that something was really, really wrong right before he died. And it was, it was awful. It was just something that haunted me for a very long time. Cause I'm like, did I know, could I have stopped it? Was he telling me something? Um, it, it and I've had other things happen like that. I mean, there's been Strange, a lot of yeah. other experiences, you know, that have been that way. But if you look at history, People that are attached close to people usually consent when something is wrong if they let themselves be open enough to it. Yeah, some people do. I don't. I haven't experienced it, but like, I can't also just dismiss other people's experiences because I've never had that experience. I'm just maybe I'm just not fortunate enough to have some kind of spirit talking through me. Oh, I and I also don't think it's because people want it because I don't. Like, I I really have said to my husband more than once, I don't. I don't really like this. Like it's, it's an uncomfortable thing because then it makes me apprehensive. If I start to feel a certain way, I'm like, Oh, is something going to go ha- Is something wrong? Is something going to happen? Um, but it's also been beautiful because, you know, in some way I felt like my brother spoke to me before he died in some way. And it could be my own way of processing things. This could be a bunch of be- bullshit, right? This could be, you know, just me making it up in my own head, how everything played together, you know, cause it's all about perception. So but he actually came and said goodbye to me the night that he died. I barely got to sleep that night. I only slept for two hours because I had to get up in the morning. And my sister just does not live in the same state as my family and I. I don't live in the same state as my family. We all are kind of spread across. And my mom wanted to make sure that my uncle was around when my sister got the call. And so I barely slept. I mean, who would sleep? And I was in and out kind of for about two hours. And he came to me to say goodbye in my sleep. Oh, he did? said, I have to go. Yeah, I said, I got to go. And I said, oh, God, don't go. And I remember what he was wearing and everything. What? And he's like, I go. Oh, I, I can't be here. I'm causing too many problems. And I begged him to stay. And he told me he loved me and said, I have to go. And I woke up. And I tell you, Gabe, wow. it makes me want to cry right now. I had this sense of, like, it's okay. Like, I, it's okay. Like, I can't change this. And maybe it was my own body physiologically in my brain doing something for me to process this terrible, terrible tragedy. But even if that's all it was and it wasn't clairvoyance and it wasn't some kind of spiritual thing, it still helped me process it. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of a ghost thing? Because I think I've had a ghost experience in my life and like it kind of freaks me out because like if I accept that, does that mean that you just – like there's a chance that you just die and you just stick wherever you're at 
I mean, is it like I could die in my home right now and I'll be stuck here for however long? I do. You do? Yeah. I do. <laughs> this did me after he died. He kept leaving my car lights on. Okay, what? it was a crazy thing. Okay, first off, I was getting pissed off about it because I couldn't turn my car lights off, my internal lights in my car. No matter what I did, I stopped my car, I pulled it over, I take the keys out, and my internal like overhead lights to my car would not turn off. And I came home one night, I told my husband about it, and he's just like, I don't know what to do. And he went out there and he tried to do it. Well, after, and then all of a sudden, you know, I wake up the next morning and my lights are off. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I get my car and I'm driving off again, and my lights wouldn't go off again. I thought it was some type of electrical problem, but it only lasts for about three weeks. And finally, after like the third time, I was like, you know what? You're here. I know you are here. And when I said that to him, when I was driving the car that night, I had a plastic bottle in my car, like a water bottle, and the water bottle made a popping sound, like a really large pop. It startled the shit out of me. And I was like, God, you are here. He didn't stay for very long, but I think the human spirit may linger for a little while. Um, maybe not forever. I don't know if it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know because I've never experienced it where, you know, a ghost will be in a house and it'll just stay there forever. But I did experience and I do believe that, you know, sometimes uh, spirits do linger. And if they can linger for a short time, um, I can't imagine that they wouldn't linger for a long time if, if, if they needed to. Or they, I don't know. I, it's really weird. It is very weird. Yeah, my mom grew up, I keep forgetting my mom in this because so many weird things like this go on with my mom. Like she's had this very uh, strange, strange kind of life in a way. Like, so her family grew up in Londonderry. Uh, New Hampshire in this old house and back you know 1890 or something like that some guy was trampled and killed like the owner of the house was trampled and killed by his horse in the front yard they all swear that that house was haunted but the weird part about it is they never really talked about it when they lived there until later on in life when they all came back there was six kids in the family and they all kind of started talking about it when they were older and they all had these experiences of of this like this these things happening like things falling down the stairs that weren't there like, my mom would say that she could hear somebody breathing next to her when she sat on the couch in the living room. Like, eerie stuff. Well, I mean, I think as kids, we are more open, right? I mean, I had experiences when I was a kid, for sure. Um, I I lived with a best friend of mine for a while in her house, and that place was, if I mean, I think it was haunted. I mean, now that I've had adult experiences, I can look back and think, well, maybe that wasn't so much. And for a long time, I kind of passed it off as, you know, a, a curious kid. Like, ah, uh, you know, you were into all that ghosty, weird shit when you were a kid. Uh, I was just, you know, your kids are very, you know, their brains are very amazing. And they can make a bunch of shit up. And, exactly. you know, we're very creepy. And I thought, well, you know, at that point. But now as an adult that I've experienced these things, I really think that maybe what I experienced as a kid was. And kids are more open. Kids are more open to to spiritual experiences than other people. Um, other people are, and I think uh, very sensitive people are more open. And I think that's part of the reason why I feel like I'm more open to those kind of things. I'm super sensitive. I mean, I, one of the biggest things I can remember is we bombed Afghanistan, and I remember having to pull over my car because I was crying hysterically. Really? And yeah, I was just so upset that people were dying. And it's like, when I think about it, and I verbally say this to you, I'm like, really? Come on now. I know, you make me feel I like just, an insensitive asshole. I'm like, I'm so desensitized to all this stuff I hear now. I'm like, more death. Okay, I guess more people died today. 
Yeah, I don't watch TV. I don't listen to the news. I just don't engage in any of that stuff. And I think in some way that that causes me more harm because I'm less able to process as easy as maybe someone else who sees the shit all the time. So for me, it, it becomes very, I don't know, I like people. And when other people suffer, it really bothers me. Um, that's part of the reason why, you know, the recent issues caused me so much problems. Because I just, I, I really have a hard time not, like, um, that's my art so good for me. Because I am really sensitive to things that happen around me. If I see somebody in pain, I feel that. If I, you know, even if it's hundreds of miles away, you know, and I try not to internalize it or, you know, make a scene about it. I mean, I'm not sitting there, you know, in my living room being like, oh, my God, whoa, you know, like freaking out. You know, you know, it's not about me. It's about other people. But I overall have to sit there and think to myself, you know, like these people that lost their limbs. I mean, if I think about that, that will make me want to vomit, like sick to my stomach. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, how can somebody be so heinous? Um, but it also gives me that empathy and that edge to go into a classroom or to make the art that I make and to sit there and connect with people because I am kind of open like that. I am open enough to, um, to feel things. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm more able to notice things in this world that, um, maybe somebody would consider spiritual or clairvoyant or, you know, whatever, because I'm, I'm willing to, I'm not even willing. I mean, obviously, I, like I told you earlier, like I really don't like it sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just who I am, and I've learned to accept it rather than wall it off because it, I think that that's an edge that we are losing um, as a society. Um, we're losing that compassion. We're losing that 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 care for one another. I mean, we can walk down the street and see somebody laying in the road and they've done tons of studies on the bystander effect where people will just walk past and be like, somebody else will take care of it, whatever, you know, like whatever, rather than, you know, somebody looking at somebody and seeing their pain and being willing to, you know, but we have so many people preying on that pain, right? Preying on people that are sensitive and loving and caring. So then you got to protect yourself. We have this really weird balance going on. If you could, do you have any advice for for other otters coming up? Um, you know, what anything that helped you uh, progress to where you're at right now? Oh, of course. Don't we all have advice for everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> we all have advice for you know. It's like it's like a parent giving advice to children. Do they listen? No, of course they got to. You know, fight. but you know, absolutely. I think really what has helped me more than anything is to look at everything you're doing and this is going to sound super cliche, but look at everything as you're doing as a journey, not a goal. If you want to be seen and you want your artwork to be seen. And I just posted something like this on Facebook, like the other day, everybody wants to be recognized in, in something, right? It doesn't matter if it's art or it's just in your life. Like you want your spouse to recognize you or you want an employer to see that you're doing well. And, you know, you want it, people want to be commended and recognized and, and given this, you know, like you're doing really good, you know, really proud of you. And we've not really learned to nurture that in each other. So, you know, we're trying to get this, this, this thing that we need, like we need people to, you know, and Facebook is not fucking helping anybody. You know, everybody's <laughs> like, how many I get how many likes did I get? Oh my I god, know. I got no likes. What the fuck? You know, it's all like measured by Facebook now. Yeah. Um, but if you 
if you really, you know, you want to be liked and you want to be accepted, it's really all about, you know, doing what you love and never like changing to appease people and not stepping down. Um, you know, they, they, that's that whole quote where they say, you know, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not doing your job because if you're always just kind of going with the flow, you know, and you're not, you know, standing up for the things that you love and you enjoy, then, you know, you're always, you're not going to get there. And, you know, people don't like you and that's okay. Not everybody has to like you. I don't like everybody. I mean, every, if you look at the world, we don't necessarily like everybody. I don't know anybody who sits there and goes, I love everybody in the world, <laughs> unless they're having major drugs. I mean, and that's just, you know, whatever. I'm kidding. But, you know, it's really being true to yourself and not and not trying to do things to make people like you, not try to do things to um, do things to your art to make people like your art. Because let's say, you know, this theme is in and everybody's painting ducks. Well, then I must paint ducks you know, to get in, it's, it's being true to your spirit of what you love and really enjoying it. Because when you lose the joy in your work, it's very obvious in the work itself. Um, working from home, I don't have an outside job and I do this for a living. Uh, it can get really hard on you mentally to, to have to put drive into it, to, to get out there and not get discouraged. It's hard when you see your friends getting into shows you want to. It's hard to see people winning awards. It's hard to go to a show and you're there and no one talks to you. I mean, all these things are, you know, what happens to so many young artists. And people want to look at at these big people and they're like, wow, they're making all this money. And, you know, they have all this, this, you know, fame and how I want to be like them. And they're forgetting that what they have is the most beautiful thing that they could have ever to offer. Like this whole thing where you're sitting there and you're making this beautiful piece of art, that should mean more than accolades from other people, from your peers, from galleries. And when people see that you have, you feel strongly about your work, that you love your work and you're not pushing your work just to be somebody that you're pushing your work because you are somebody, you respect yourself, then people really start to take you seriously and opportunities start to come knocking at your door. And it's a never give up thing because all of us, no matter if you know, you're selling millions of dollars or you're not selling anything at all, everybody in this whole grand scheme of everything feels defeated. We have defeat. You know, everybody feels defeated. You know, you feel like everybody's doing better than you. I mean, there is, it's just a human emotion. It's, it's human. And I think a lot of the people forget that people um, that they look up to, I mean, I know people that I look up to when I hear them talking about that, you know, that they feel defeated. It makes me feel a lot better because I'm like, wow, you have the same emotions as me. The people up at the top that people look at have the same emotions that everybody else does. And if people stop looking at people as stars and they start looking them at humans, they're human beings then it starts to be a level playing field and there's room for everybody. There's room for every person. And that's the thing that a lot of people like to push on these young artists, that there's only so much room at the top. That's bullshit. There's room for everybody to do whatever the hell they want to do. And if you really believe in that, then I believe that you can have whatever the hell you want. And that might sound all, you know, happy, happy, whatever, you know, it might sound, oh, so positive, whatever, but it's a true fact. If you want something bad enough, you can get it. And people have come from shitty, shitty, shitty 
areas of their life to become great icons in our world. You know, I do. That's beautiful. It is drive, determination, and never giving up your true human spirit and realizing that you are a star. You're a star of your own show. You're a star. If you can be happy with yourself, then that's really, I mean, then you've won, right? Have you not won? If you can wake up in the morning and you're happy with what you're doing, maybe you're not happy with everything that's going on because if you think your life is going to be like that, obviously it's not true. But if you can look at what you're doing and generally be pretty good with what's going on, then you've won. You've won if you're okay with yourself. You've won if you love what you do, even if you're not making millions of dollars of it. Dollars mean shit. People will say on their deathbed, this is a, a podcast that I watched also because I'm obsessed with, obsessed with, not podcast, a TED Talk. Um, I'm obsessed with them. I watched a woman do this thing on Super Better. It's a video game for people who have health problems, and I started it. It's amazing. So if anybody out there has any type of issues with, let's say, anxiety or depression or they're overcoming an illness like I was, um, it's a really – It's not, I don't. I hate video games, but it's a really cool way to get yourself better. But she was talking how on people's deathbeds, you know, that they were – you know, that they wished that they – they played more and that they enjoyed their life more and that they hung out with their friends more and that they didn't go for the mighty dollar, that the mighty dollar means shit in the end. You burn that shit. And what do you have when you have nobody in your life? Yep. Nothing. I used to work in restaurants and I always think about these guys. Like sometimes you'd have these like uh dishwashers that were just these older guys that would come in and they're always fucking happy. They're always like the coolest guys that they were so happy. I can't say there was that many of them, but there was maybe a few. And there was, <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't that many happy dishwashers. Most of them weren't. But there was a couple that I've, I worked with that were so happy. And I always looked at them like, most, I, I don't know if I'd be happy at 40 washing dishes at a restaurant. I think I'd be like coming in kind of sad or <laughs> pissed at the way things worked out. But somehow they've seen the brighter side in everything. And they're happier in their position than I, than I would be, than I was, you know, like, or, or even right now. I would say that those people are still happier washing dishes than I am doing what I'm doing, you know? And I always, I'm always amazed by it. And I don't know if it's a chemical thing in their head or if it's just like a decision they make. Like, I'm going to be happy today, and they just fucking carry it out, and they're able to do it. I can't do that shit. I'm happy, like, 20% of my day. It's a matter of perception. I read a lot on the subject of happiness, and it's a matter of absolute perception, um, I mean, they say not the when they talk about, you know, uh, survival of the fittest, it's not the strongest or the smartest that survive. It's those that are most adaptable. If you can adapt and adapting, you know, it, it, it means adapting. It doesn't mean you just deal with it. It means you adapt. You know, if your circumstance isn't what you want it, you're adapting to it. And those are the people. I learned a lot of that through my illness because I had to adapt a lot to being unable to do a lot of stuff. And when you learn to adapt, you start to appreciate things a lot more and things that other people might not appreciate. I have a very large appreciation for them because of that. And it's all, it's all thought. It really is. Our brain is our world. It's absolutely our world. People will say that's baloney. And it is. We are our own perception. I can sit here and, you know, and say to myself, you know, I'm not making this much money and, and this and that. Or I could say, hey, guess what? I'm 35 years old and I'm making art and I love it. Yay for me. Yeah. You know, 
it, 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 it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it, everything's really a matter of perception. Every, they, they did some other study. I, I read an, another TED Talks recently about happiness. It was actually just a couple of days ago. And they did this study between people who had, I might get this wrong because it's really fresh in my head and I was doing like two things at once. But it had something to do with people who had actually lost their limbs, which was obviously this podcast, or not podcast, TED Talks, was done prior to this issue with the bombing. And uh, people who had won the lottery and their uh, happiness level after a couple months went basically to the same. What? Because the people who had lost their legs had learned to adapt to their life and they were okay with it. And the people who won the lottery, they had to adapt to their lives too. And it wasn't as great as they thought it was going to be. Yeah, I've seen um, that statistically. And I know that that's real. But I can't accept it. <laughs> I can't accept it. <laughs> I can't accept because I always think like, you know what? If I had to choose from being like, uh, like middle class me right now, or lottery winner me, I would. I think even if I'm depressed, I'd be happier in a better depression mode on a boat somewhere, like just hanging out on a boat for days <laughs> or whatever, like, or like doing whatever I want because I'm rich. Then, like that seems like I don't know how you could be really unhappy with that. Like you're you're complete. You'd have complete freedom, right? You're no longer chained into the system. You're no longer worrying about rent or anything like that. You're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I can do whatever I want right now. I just have a hard time buying that those people are unhappy, but they are. They they I've seen like yep. so many just blow like this. I think it was like Freakonomics or something like that just blew through it and ruined their friend. Their their friends leave them or they leave their friends because their friends just keep wanting to get money off of them. If there's a whole set of other circumstances, and that's the thing, you know, you come up with a whole other set of problems and people forget about that because they think, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. You know, like, oh, well, you know, if I wasn't living in this middle class house, I could have all this money and I'd win the lottery. Well, you're not taking into consideration all the other things that are going to happen to you when that happens. Like, who's going to be real to you? You know, and who's going to be this? And I think a lot of people have to look at that with success, too. You know, people want, like, the success, but with success comes a lot of shit. You know, if you become really, really successful, how do you know who your really true friends are and, you know, all this other stuff? So people have to, you know, um, I mean, they say, you know, you throw all your problems in a bowl and, you know, you switch them around. You have like a group of 10 people and at most everybody's going to take their own shit back because <laughs> they don't want anybody else's shit because they're familiar. And when you, let's say, win the lottery or whatever, I mean, he was talking about the ability to choose. And that when you give people choices, they're less likely to be unhappy. <laughs> so he said he had these students and they had these photographs and they had to take these two photographs of like two, like one of each thing they love. Like to so say this woman take a photograph of her husband and then they took a photograph of her daughter and they had to go to school. And one group was, you know, told, all right, well, you have to make a choice right now. You have to give one of those so that we can use it as a project and send it in that you were in this class. You have to make that choice. And there's no choice in the matter. Like, once you're done, you know, that's it. Or the other group was given, well, you can make the choice right now, but if you decide later you really want the picture of your daughter back, you know, we'll give you a couple days to think about it. But go ahead and make a choice right now, but you can think about it. That the students that were forced into making a decision and accepting it to those that were given the choice and were able to kind of wishy-washy wobble about the like, well, I don't know. Do I love my daughter more than my husband? I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. That those students were a hell of a lot more like mentally like distraught, and the other people that were forced um, into making a decision were much happier with their choice. 
were like, okay, okay because they had, they had to accept it. And it's kind of like the same with somebody who would lose a limb or that are given a disease, um, not given, I don't, you know, they acquire a disease, um, things of that nature, that when you are, there's no choice in the matter that we are more than likely to be happy. And when we have a choice is when we start to become unhappy. And that's shown with, you know, Americans and everybody, I want a bigger house. Okay, well, now I live in the bigger house. Well, I want a bigger house than that. Well, I want a bigger car than that. Well, I want to keep up with the Joneses rather than looking at what they have. I mean, because if you know you couldn't grow, you mean, you would just be like, okay, well, I can't get a better job, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way my life is. You're going to be a hell of a lot probably more happy because this is what you got, and you got to love it. Maybe that's why the dishwasher you know? was happy. He's like, fuck it, I'm not getting out of here. This is this is it. I might as well be happy washing dishes. Right. Well, what if, and they were older, and a lot of older people just want to get out and be with people. I mean, I have one of my best friends is 70. Okay, my like she's like a surrogate mother to me. And this woman is like teaches me so much all the time, and she's just she's freaking happy all the time. Like she's just she's she's good. I like people. She still works part time, okay? And she just was she just went like went into the hospital, almost died last year. She had a terrible issue, and she came out of it. She was on a walker when she came out, and now she's back to being a part time nurse at a school. And I'm like, wow, you are my hero. And she's like, but I just like. <laughs> I just want to be out and I'm really happy with everything that I have. And I think sometimes, you know, with having adversity in people's lives and when they're forced to deal with something, it really brings um, an opening to uh, what really is good. I mean, you know, I think we, I mean, especially with what I went through with my health, I mean, I can sit there after 10 years and I'm a completely different person. And I look outside and I think people think I'm nuts sometimes because I'm like, wow, holy cow, I can see the clouds. Oh, my God, it's raining. Like, and I'll be in my car and I'm just like, I'm driving. I'm driving the car right now. I can drive. I'm out. And everybody else is going to work and they're busy and they're doing stuff. And, and they don't really realize, like, how lucky we are. I mean, we're – I don't know. It's really hard. Like, you know, um, God, what is, what is that comedian? He's hilarious. Um, Louis C.K. Yes. He was talking about people bitching about being on airplanes. He's like, you know, just because we had a delay, and it's like you're flying through the air in the seat in the sky. Yeah. Like, why are you fucking complaining? Like, this is amazing. Yeah. But we are all programmed to think that there's something better. There's something better. There's something better, and that's why we can't acquire happiness because there's always something better. Even with the success of art, I must get into that gallery. I must get into this gallery. I must. I must do this. I must do this. And if we're constantly trying to acquire something better all the time, now I'm not saying don't set goals because that's fucking important in life. I mean, you can't just sit there and do nothing. But if you can't be happy with what you have while you're trying to do other things that may better your life, then why are you fucking living anyway? I mean, what's the point? If you're always going to be striving for something else and you can't be in the now with what you have, I mean, you're going to die a miserable fucking person. Yeah, that's a Buddhist um, yogi type of principle right there. That's, I mean, I've read that in, in Buddhist type of books that you have to give up that 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 desire will never end once you achieve whatever you're getting it's just gonna it's just gonna transfer and it's not the thing you're after it's that that desire in you it's a it's another it's another obstacle it's part of the the things you have to get rid of in your life in order to find that inner peace 
Yeah, and we see that a lot in the art world. I say the art world's like an entertainment industry, you know? Everybody's, it's all about ego, 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 ego. And it's really hard to remember that this is why we're doing it in the first place. Why do you make art? You're making it for you. I mean, you can make it for other people. That's fine, too, you know, if that's what you want to do. But, you know, are you actually making it for a good reason? You know, are you are you making it for something that feels good, not because you're trying to to be something, you know, that you're that you're not? You know, I mean, I do. I mean, that probably sounds really shitty. I don't know if that came out right, but I don't know. It's, just, it's a really this um, field is very hard. It, it, I uh, knowing Carrie Ann, um, you know, we've we've talked quite a bit about different things, and you know, one thing that she had said in something was, you know, she talked about I think it was a letter she had written um, where she had said. Uh, you know, you don't want to do this to yourself. <laughs> don't become an artist. It's horrible. You know, and it, I mean, it's a really tough field to be able to be humble, but also be confident. But where's that ego? You know what I mean? Like to have that balance. Like, you know, you got to be confident. You know, you got to do these things and have goals and want to succeed. But you also got to maintain like being humble and doing good work and maybe donating to things and, you know, really showing people that you care by giving service. When I say donating, artists are asked to donate all the time. And I'm not saying, you know, just donate yourself like all over the place, but maybe find one cause you do a year or something, you know, that you really want to be a part of that, you know, that feels good to you because artists are all the time asked to just donate constantly yeah. to things. I don't think that there's any wrong, anything wrong with some of it for sure. Um, but it's a hard field. It's a hard field not to let your ego get in the way to not let your self-esteem get in the way, to let it define you as a person. I mean, these are all things that I've struggled with, especially, you know, with things that have gone on in my life. This became something, art became something, the only thing that I had for a very long time, and it defined who I was. And then I had to remember that's only a piece of me. This doesn't, this is not who defines Anya as a person. This is just a part of me. And I really hope that artists will, you know, be able to see that, that this is just a part of them. This is an extra beautiful piece, this this amazing thing about them that they can do, but that doesn't define you, you know? It doesn't define who you are. That was great. I mean, that was very inspirational. So, again, thanks so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. And um, is there anything else you wanted to uh, throw out there? There's always something in the works. I'm always, you know, trying to conjure up some type of project or something. I love working with people. Um, that's really important to me. I love building bonds with other people and, and, and working with them. So I look forward to working with some new people with these projects and making some really cool bonds because I think, I think the art world is pretty awesome if, we, uh, if we're willing to help each other out. It is pretty awesome. That's why I want to do the podcast. I always have fun talking to artists. <laughs>